I get home. Man. We just give the praise team just a hand of praise for leading us in worship. Amen. Amen. And as I approach the preaching hour, just want to uh, pause just to acknowledge Pastor Nate in his absence. He's, uh, he'll be preaching in, at his home church in Middle, at Middle Belt Baptist Church in uh, Michigan this morning. Uh, so just keeping him lifted up in our prayers. I thank, I'm thankful for the mentorship that he showed me. And I'm grateful to God for not just Pastor Nate, but all of Forrest and uh, how um, kind and, and supportive you all have been in the ministry, in my ministry. And with that being said, there is a word from the Lord this morning. And I will ask you to turn with me as we revisit uh, Jonah. We'll be looking at the third chapter. Jonah, the third chapter, the first through the 10th verse. And as we prepare to read, I would ask those who are willing and those who are able to stand for the reverence of God's word, that you would stand with me as we read the uh, scripture this morning. Jonah 3, 1 through 10. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. And it reads, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered. Amen. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. 
Amen. You may be seated. If you would, just bow with me in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come right now, Lord God, in this preaching hour, Lord God. I ask that you would give me your authority, Lord God, to speak your words, Lord, in truth. Lord God, I ask that you empty me of me and fill me with thee, Lord. I ask that your word not go forth void, but fulfill everything that you would have it to, Lord. Lord God, I ask that you speak to me and speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So as we revisit this story, just a brief recap, last week we saw that Jonah was in the belly of the well and he was crying out to the Lord. Because of his disobedience, he had been in the belly of the well but God provided an unlikely grace of a, a large fish in order to save his life. And after crying out to the Lord and vowing to fulfill his promise that he had promised God, the large fish vomited out Jonah. And this is where we pick up our story from last week. It is, it's just it's funny how the hill that Jonah chose to rebel on, which is mission, was the same hill that Christ chose to die on. God is serious about his mission. He is serious about us going ye therefore and teaching all nations. God has uh, blessed me to be able to, to hold down a job for five years come this August. So five years ago, when I had first moved to Louisville, I started at UPS. And during my five years there, he's given me an incredible opportunity to make and form bonds and build relationships and friendships with different people. And uh, it's, it's really been a blessing. And uh, in that time of being there, a lot of people and a lot of coworkers, uh, just through interaction and different talks, uh, have found out that I am a Christian. <laughs> and with this, it has both been a huge blessing and it has been trying at times. It's been a blessing because I've been able to, through the years, like people knowing that I'm a Christian, as they're going through, some of them would come to me. I've been able to, to pray with some people. I've been able to, uh, to just give them hope during the pandemic. But also, it comes with persecution. So when you declare that, that you believe in the Bible, that you believe in Christ, and you try your best to live that out, that is going to come with some persecution. So some people come up to me for, for good reasons, like prayer or just a question or advice or, or just an ear to listen to. But other people come just to test you. When you declare that you are a Christian in your everyday lives, you're not only going to get an opportunity for ministry, but you're, you're going to get an opportunity to suffer like Christ suffered. Um, so it does. It has its challenges. Sometimes I felt publicly attacked. Sometimes I felt ganged up on. I felt alone at work. 
Like, I'm the only one there that, that believes this. And um, sometimes I've, I've been told that I'm not wise. I'm, I'm stupid for following a book that's so many years old, written by flawed men. I've been told that my parenting is outdated and that I, I'm abusive for spanking my children. I've been told that uh, I'm homophobic and I support the violation of civil rights for standing on the Bible and heterosexual relationships and God's plan for sex and marriage. I've been called a misogynist for believing in Ephesians 5 when it says that as a husband, I should be the head of my household and the head of my wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. I have faced persecution by the proclamation that I am a Christian on my job. And I know that for every one of you, you face similar things if you have stood up for Christ in your life, whether it's come from family members or coworkers or anything like that. But I'm here to encourage you to stay on that path. Persecuted for his namesake is what we are called to be. I had a coworker just just on Friday uh, and throughout the week, really, but just on Friday, he, he came up to me with a question. And he said, um, he said, do I really believe the word of God is accurate? That it's without any flaw at all? That the word of God is inerrant? And I, I answered, I said, yes, I believe in the word of God and I believe in his power to, to save. And then he says, but it's written by flawed men. So if flawed men wrote it, then it must be flawed, right? And then I took him to 2 Timothy 3.16. Well, I didn't take him, but I quoted it. And I, and I told him that, uh, that the Holy Spirit, the, the perfect God, the perfect spirit of God had uh, moved along through flawed men to write an infallible word of God. I told him that the Bible is God's word to humanity. It was written by human authors, but a perfect God prompted and guided them to write what they did. Every word, every form, every word placement was divinely and intentionally written. And I was able to tell him that even from the beginning, God has desired a relationship with us. He has always communicated with his people. He has always tried to reach out to us. He has always wanted relationship with his people. And he answered, he, he, he told me, how, how would I, how would I ha come into a relationship with God? I don't go to church. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. And I don't believe in God. And at that moment, I realized that it's, it's us. It's the primary way that God wants to save sinners is through mission. It's through your testimony. It's through your example. It's through the work that God is doing in your life. He wants us to leverage our relationships, our, our bonds that we make, our, our relationships with family, friends, and loved ones to spread his gospel. And if you would take for a subject of this text with me, that being missional 
is not optional. Being missional is not optional. And my first point is, is simply being missional is not optional because God is missional. God has always been missional. Verse 1 through 4 of our text shows that uh, it was his word, it was his plan that Nineveh even be saved. And it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's how intentional he is about this. That's, why, that's how intentional he is about not switching up his plan. His first plan was that Jonah do missions in Nineveh. And his second plan after Jonah was disobedient was that Jonah went to Nineveh and did missions. So we see that God, is, God has always been missional. He was missional when he called Abraham out of a pagan nation in order to become a, 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 a nation for him, to build a nation for God. He was intentional about missions when Moses, when he approached Moses at the burning bush. And we see that not only he was missional, but Christ was missional also. It says in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, it says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Luke 9, 19 and 10, it, show, it tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. John three sixteen says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that he, he sent his only Son on mission. He loved us so much. Romans 8, 5, like we read earlier, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and he died for us. And just like God was missional, Christ was missional, even the Holy Spirit was missional. John 16, 7 says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. And also you, John 17, 17 through 18 says, sanctify them in truth, your word is true. And then he goes on to say, as you have sent me into the world, so I, I send them into the world. So we, we don't have a choice. Missional, being missional is not an option. We are to use the, the testimony that God has given us to proclaim his goodness in the nations. My second point, God's word is not optional. We see in the text right here, Jonah, he's not just moving on his own volition. He's not just moving on his own, but it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Verse two, it says, call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of God, and the Lord now, uh, according to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was exceedingly great in cities. And then it, we see that Jonah called out what God wanted him to call out. I was, I was driving in the Highlands the other day, and I was caught in traffic and, um, on Barstown Road in the Highlands at the wrong time. But 
it allowed me to just pause for a second and see a Baptist church that was down uh, right in the Highlands. And the sign was, was big. It was a Baptist church. And big, just as big as the word of the name of the church was written, no fire, no brimstone. Indicating that they're not going to preach hell or condemnation at this church, that they wanted you to feel welcome because they're not going to preach a part of the gospel here. And God decides. God decides what is being said. And, and the scripture tells us that, that we don't get to pick and choose what part of the gospel that we listen to or don't listen to. Had it not been for God deciding that that Nineveh needed to hear fire and brimstone, it would have been thousands upon thousands of souls lost. So it isn't us who chooses. God's word, God is missional and it's not an optional option because God's word is not an option. It's not an option of what we preach or what we don't preach. You don't get, you don't get to save people's feelings in the gospel. You don't get to save or, or pick and choose what God is uh, saying. And we don't get to pick and choose who we get to say it to. A lot of us are walking around afraid to open up our mouth about our testimonies, afraid to call out our loved ones on their sin because we're afraid to lose them out of our lives. Well, if I tell them that and, and if I meddle in their business like that, I might lose them. They might not come around anymore. But literally, we're, we're losing a, a temporary relationship by, or we're fearing to lose a temporary relationship with them while we're condemning them to an eternally lost relationship with the Lord. The word of the Lord is not optional. What we get to, choose, what we get to preach is not optional. Just like we get to preach God's love we have to preach the consequences of disobedience. This is, this is not a popular word. The United States, if there was a chief God, it would be the God of comfort. We love to, we love to remain comfortable. But, but Jesus, even in his word, says that I didn't come here to bring you peace, but I came to bring a sword. I came to that mother will be against daughter, that the gospel would be almost a divide, it would be a dividing point. It would be a dividing point when you proclaim the gospel amongst some of the people that are your closest relatives. He said, if you don't love me more than you love mother and father, you're not worthy of me. If you're, if you're willing to choose a relationship, a temporary relationship with someone over an eternal relationship with me in, in obedience, then you're not worthy of me. And this is a hard word. His word is not optional. When he tells us to preach doom to someone, then we must preach doom. When, when he tells us to call that, that loved one out for sexual immor immorality, and we just, we, we allow them to feel comfortable without saying a word, we have to know what we're doing. We have to know the consequences of our actions in those moments. And Jonah, Jonah had some heart issues, but he was acting in obedience to the word of God in this, in this passage. He went, he went to Nineveh, and he cried out to Nineveh 
exactly what God, it was five short words in the Hebrew. It, it equates to yet 40 days and God will overthrow Nineveh, right? And that's it. And it says that as soon as the Ninevites heard it, they repented immediately. They began to fast. They believed God and began to respond. If I was trying to save someone, I probably would have said more about this or, 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 or more about God and his love and, and how he can save. But God knew exactly what Nineveh needed to hear in that moment. We don't get to decide. And we don't get to decide whether we speak or don't speak. The word of the Lord is clear. And it, and it tells us that uh, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Matter of fact, if you would, and if you have your word, turn with me there. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Amen. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're not our own anymore, but it says in 20, it says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is our call to ministry. If you are in Christ, I like how 17 starts. If you are in Christ, you are called to the, the ministry of reconciliation. That means you are called to hear from God and speak and, and, and to respond to God appropriately. We see the consequences of, of rebelling against what God has told us to do earlier in Jonah. There are consequences for being disobedient to the call to mission. And lastly, being missional is not an option because that's, that is the way that God chooses to save. He could have chose any way in the world to save his people, but he chose to come through his son, Jesus Christ. And I, I love in Matthew how, how Jesus even responds. You're looking for signs, you're looking for wonders, but I promise you, you won't get sign and, signs and wonders. All you will get is the prophet Jonah, just like he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. The only sign you will get is when he was telling them, when he would go into the tomb and he would be in there for three days and three nights. This is the gospel. This is what we preach. This is the way that he chooses to save. For those of us who, who by God's grace and through faith in Jesus' gift on the cross have come to believe, the way that he chooses to save others is through you. 
we see in 7 through 10 that there's a catered message to the Ninevites. He said that he would overthrow them in, in 40 days. And for some reason, that worked for them. And as I'm studying, I, I realized that Nineveh just didn't get great by just existing. But they were accustomed to overthrowing other people. That's how they were able to increase their borders. They were, they were besieging other countries. They were practiced in ruthlessness and violence and conquerors in their, in their time. So when God said those words that he would overthrow them, that he would turn them over to someone else, they knew how ruthless that process could be. He knows exactly what to say. He, it, it might not be that he will, the message of overthrowing for you, but he provides a catered and concise message to his people right in the time that, he, uh, that we need it. And we see in 7 through 10 that they respond like no other. They begin to repent. It says the people of Nineveh repented first. As soon as they heard the word of Jonah, they start repenting. And they went immediately into fasting and prayer. And by the time that uh, the king got the word, he immediately disrobes. He takes off all of his glory. He, he steps off of his throne. And he submits to the word of God. We, we, we see that he, he was sensitive to the word of God by his actions. We see that the, the people of Nineveh were sensitive to the word of God by how they changed their behavior, how they humbled themselves before the Lord. It might seem strange to put ashes on oneself and cover one with sackcloth, but this was the most humiliating thing one could do in this time period. So instead of being the tough guy and resisting the word of God or saying, oh, I, I'm going to bet the kingdom, my large kingdom with my large army and my ruthless behavior that you won't overthrow, they submit immediately to the word of God. And I think, I think it's noteworthy to see that all the people were already carrying out the wishes of the king by the time he made the edict to fast from food, drink, and to, and to cry out to the Lord. We see that the word of God, the belief in the word of God, fulfills the law. So when we believe God's word, we are, we are in essence trusting in Jesus, and in, and in that spirit, we are fulfilling the word of God. We see that their actions, because they believe, it was their actions, their change of behavior because they believed that made them already, even before the law was written, already uh, fulfilling and uh, obeying the law of the king. And we, we see that we see that the king of Nineveh even though the people were even though the people were fulfilling that law even though that they were already fasting and they were already praying he made it public he said in this kingdom this is this what would be happening in our kingdom and it's good as as leaders as christians to set that standard in your life he used his influence 
he used his position, he used his power in order to decree it, uh, what the Lord's, um, what the Lord desired for them. He used the word of God, his belief in the word of God in order to, in order to be pleasing to the Lord. He wasn't afraid of what they might say. He wasn't concerned with his glory. But he, he humbled himself in a way that, was, that got the attention of God. And a lot of times, a lot of times the reason why we repent and we go right back to whatever it was that we were repenting from is because we're still trying to hold on to some of that glory for ourselves. In order to have the heart of repentance, we must stop trying to build our own kingdom. Some people don't, don't repent because it's pleasing to the word, like because our actions were heinous in the sight of God. Sometimes we repent because we got caught. Sometimes we, we only repent because it makes us look bad. That action, is, it makes us and our kingdom look bad. So we're repenting and we're sorrowful for it. There can be no pride, no arrogance, no sense of building your own kingdom when you come to repent before the Lord. This is important, y'all. A lot of us are, are, are weak in our testimonies today because we're still trying to build our own kingdom. We can't tell what God has done for us because, because we're afraid that it might make us look bad. That is not the spirit of this repentance. They didn't care. The king of Nineveh didn't care. He put himself in ashes. He took off his robe. He made himself humble before his entire people. Kings aren't supposed to do that. Kings are, are concerned with their glory. When, when you think about a king's glory, it's not the king himself, but it's everything around. So he wasn't just concerned, like, he, he, he took off his robe, he covered himself in ashes, but he said everything that might be glorious about this kingdom, put it in ashes, debase it right now, and cry out to the Lord. Are we able to do that today? This, this is... This is the difference between life and death. Holding on to our own kingdom to let go to, or to hold on, letting go of our own kingdom to hold on to the kingdom that God is building, that God is trying to build. Holding on to that false glory that we have in our lives. We know it's not real. We know it's temporary. We know that the glory that we have on this earth is fleeting. We might have a nice car now, but you know what? It won't last. The Bible tells us that heaven and earth are passing away. What are you holding on to? Why are we ashamed in order to pro profess what God is willing and he's able to do for us? In order to receive, in order to receive forgiveness, For our sins. We have to fully trust in Christ. They, they turned from any method of saving themselves in this moment. They stopped feeding themselves. They pretty much besieged themselves within their own walls. There was no army on the outside making them, but God caused a humility in their hearts that said that food and drink 
and things of this world were not important, especially if I'm going to die in 40 days. Now, we don't know when 40 days is for us, but, but what's keeping us from that fasting and, and turning, that turning process, that repenting process? What are we still trying to look toward that we can't look to Christ and turn our back on that thing? Every time we, we refuse to let go, every time we are disobedient to the call to share the gospel, you're still trying to hold on to something on your job. That's why everybody don't know you're a Christian. You, you, it, it raises the standard. And then you have a whole lot of eyes on you. What, what, part of, what part of you are you still holding on to? What is it keeping you? What relationship are you afraid to lose that you won't talk to that, that family member or loved one about what God has done for you? What are we afraid to lose that we won't call one another out on our sin? Is it pride? Is it the relationship? False peace, I'm learning, is no peace at all. You can walk around like you have it together, but there will be a day of reckoning. And for, for the Ninevites, it was Jonah. And Jonah, and just like, Nineveh, just like Nineveh, this world will be judged. Our lives will be judged. And there's only one way of escape. You will be judged one day. God, is, God knows our minds. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He sees straight through us. He says his eyes are like fire, seeing straight to the heart of men. What are you holding back today? What is that sin that you're still holding on to, you're pr protecting? But just like Nineveh, the world will be judged, not based on the current standards of righteousness, not based on what we can portray to the world, but based off God's standards. And I'm letting you know right now the condemnation and the bad news of the gospel is that you're not able to fulfill God's standard on your own. You can try as hard as you can, but without the power of Jesus Christ and the acceptance of his grace and mercy, we will, we will fall short of his glory every single time. But our hope is that God being rich in mercy with the great love that he loved us, he saw us in our situation. He saw us constantly trying but still falling short of keeping his covenant. He saw us trying and, and, and being able to, to push through for a little while but then forgetting the covenant of God and, and failing to uphold the standard. He saw us struggling through commandments, just 10 of them. They made 365 more to try to try to keep those 10, but he saw us failing miserably. And, and Christ didn't count equality with God, anything to be grasped. But he humbled himself, encapsulated himself in flesh, and came here, walked among us, lived the life that we weren't able to live, and he died the death that we deserved in order that you may have life and have it more abundantly so that we stop, so that you can stop fronting in front of all these people that's probably headed in the same direction of everybody else, and that's doomed. I thank God for that. So being missional is not optional. Thank God. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come, Lord God, thanking you for your word, we thank you for your call to missions, Lord God. We thank you for 
as you have brought us into your stuff, that you have brought us into your purpose, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, for, for giving us the power, for giving us the authority, Lord God, for giving us the mission to take up our cross just like you did, Lord God, and to follow you being fisher of men. Fishers of men on our job, Lord God, I ask right now that whatever that barrier is, it's real, but it's nothing compared to you, Lord God. Those tough conversations that you are calling us to have, Lord God, that persecution for your namesake, Lord God, allow us to jump on your bandwagon and to take up your call and your purpose and your missions, Lord, to follow you, Lord. I ask right now, Lord God, that, uh, that your word may not return void, but accomplish all that is purpose to. And it's in Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.